the morning when I was kind of hinting around that song. So, so that figures. Lord, this church never ceases to amaze me. And uh, it's uh, awesome just being involved here and just being part of this, this worship together with you guys and be serving with y'all. So I don't, you may not know uh, how humbling it is for me, but it is very humbling to be able to serve with such a group of people who are so dedicated to the Lord and how we want to serve together. And, and you know, my, uh, my m- mission, or you say mission, so, so let me ask you a question. How many people have ever looked at the roles and responsibilities of the pastor at Pine Hill Baptist Church? You ever looked at those? It's in your bylaws. I know some of you people have looked at Y'all looked at them? Everybody, right? You know what the roles and responsibility of the pastor is? What is it? Mr. Jerry, I know you know because you lived it, right? So, so in Ephesians uh, 4.12, Apostle Paul says it's the uh, equipping of the saints and the building up of the church, building up of the body of the church. And so the roles and responsibility of the pastor is anything that comes under that, right? That's what the Bible says, equipping of the saints, the teaching, the equipping of the saints, the, the preparing the saints to go out into the mission field, the preparing of the saints to be able to, to share the gospel, to share the love of Jesus Christ, to build up the body of Christ. That's the job, and that's something I take very seriously. And so, you know, over the last year, we have been doing some, some dedicated teaching on certain issues that I have been strong about and felt strong about. You know, the preaching is, is strictly out of the Bible. You know, the Word of the God is, is what we share and what I want you to learn. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, there's several people in this church that know more about the Bible than I do. And that's, it's, it's not a bad thing. But the thing is, there's a lot of people that are very knowledgeable in this Bible, and, that, and certainly we will grow together because we will not know everything there is to know about our Lord and Savior until we're standing in front of Him. And then I don't know that we'll know it then, but I know that there's, there's nothing that we're going to learn. We'll keep learning until God calls us home. And so, so uh, this morning, and I'm going to tell you, that was completely off script. But, but I want to share some things. We, you know, it started this past Sunday at the devotion. I, I teased some of you, and, and we had a really good turnout for kite flying. I'm going to be honest with you, I had no clue. Last time I flew a kite, I was probably uh, Dylan's age when I flew a kite last. But I didn't use a rod and reel. That's the difference. It's today, young people use something more dedicated to flying a kite than, than just an old string going out. And so use a rod and reel with about 3,000 feet of line on it. But, but anyhow, I had a great time of fellowship. And so I shared in that devotion something that I had studied. And, and so Easter's coming. Man, Easter's two weeks away. It's right around the corner. Easter's Resurrection Sunday. That's the day that, that our, our beliefs revolve around. And so I love to, to the weeks before Easter to start sharing some things in the Bible, some things that Jesus did, some things that happened to Jesus, because some things you don't get to sh- preach through the year. You know, it's hard to preach Jesus on the cross, you know, other times of the year, even though he's on the cross. You know what I'm saying? He went to the cross for us. But there's, there's, I got the opportunity to talk about the middle cross last week. At the, and, if, and any of you that didn't make that or, or missed out and would like to know 
I certainly would love to share that with you, well, because there's a significance about the middle cross. But this morning, uh, we're going to do an, we're going to look at something different. And, and honestly, last year I preached this story, but I used a different verse. I preached it out of Mark last year, but I'm going to preach it out of Matthew from a different perspective, from Matthew's viewpoint, how God inspired it into Matthew versus what Mark uh, shared with us. Same passage of scripture and Jesus talking. It's about it's, it's significant about struggle. And you say, well. Brother Kerry, boy, you preach on struggle a lot. Well, let me ask you something. How many of y'all had a struggle this past week? How many of y'all had to struggle within the last week? You don't have to hold your hand up. Just think about it. If you didn't have struggle in the last week, how many of y'all had struggle in the last two weeks, last month? You think about the difficulties and what we live in. And so you, I can preach on struggle because the Bible has a lot to say about struggle. A lot to say about living in a broken world. Our, our passage of scripture this morning is going to be Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46. The title of the message, and I know I was late getting this out yesterday because I had a lot going on this week. But the title of the message is The Difficulty of Walking Through the Valley. Man, walking through the valley is something that every single person in this church has had to do at some point or the other. And if you haven't, let me tell you something, you probably will. There's valleys and there's mountaintops, and you're going to walk through valleys. The difficulty of walking through the valley, and this is what Jesus is going to share with us. But let me, let me share a verse of Scripture before we actually get into that study this morning. And this is one of Miss Jerry's favorites. I'm probably sure it's Psalm 23, verse 4. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's the, the 23rd Psalm is very common. It's a very... Uh, comforting verses, a passage of scripture that David shares with us. But that particular verse is just flat out, even though I'm going to walk through it, I ain't going to be afraid of it. I'm not going to be afraid of it because you're going to be with me. We know that, that Jesus said that. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you always. We're going to walk through some valleys in our lifetime and through, you know, that's this past week. You may be walking through one right now. You may be about to walk through one. But either way, God the Father says, through Jesus Christ, through, through the scriptures, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. Now, as people living in a broken world, there's no way to avoid difficult situations. Man, you think about it, and we talk about it. There's no way to avoid difficult situations. Every one of us has been affected by trials and tribulations. We've all had to deal with the issues that, that are placed in our life. We're all having to deal with temptations that Satan places in our life. There's all kinds of issues we have to deal with, and there's no way to avoid it. Storms in life are reality. They're reality. Storms happen. Jesus, uh, the Bible shows us and teaches about storms that the disciples went through. Storms that Jesus had to deal with. The storms are reality. You know, there's a, a phrase, and I know you're familiar with this phrase. It says that you're either coming out of a storm, you're in a storm, or what? You're about to head into one. Okay? Amen. Amen. And there's just no way around it. Life is just not going to be a bed of roses, as you might think. All right? There's times when we're going to be walking on the mountaintop. There's times when it's going to be really good. Life's going to be good. Things are going to be working like you think they're supposed to. And we're going to be up on the mountain. And then there's going to be other times when things are not going to be as good. And we're going to be walking through the valley. There's no way around it. If you've ever walked through the valley of the shadow of death the way Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know how important it is to have supportive people around you. Amen? Man, you walk through the valley. You don't really want to do that by yourself, do you? 
You want people around you, people that, that support you. Every actor, let's look at this thing. When you look at, and I'm not promoting movies, but every actor has a supporting cast, do they not? There's always supporting roles. In order for the actor to be successful, he has to have a good supporting cast. Every smart businessman employs people who support his or her business, right? In order to be successful, it's, it's important to have a strong supporting group. It's important to have a strong supporting cast in every area of life. When you're walking through the valley, it's important to have people who care about you standing with you. It's important to have people who, who are concerned about you, there with you, supporting you, lifting you up, sharing a kind word with you, talking with you, praying with you, sitting with you, holding your hand, or simply just giving you an uplifting phone call. Amen? You agree with me? Man, man, when it is tough, life, we need somebody with us, right? Well, let me tell you, right now it's tough for me because Patty's gone to Nebraska. I'm soloing it by myself. I do not like being by myself. Amen? I just got to tell you flat out, she's supposed to be watching online, so I wanted her to know that. <laughs> All right. We'll move forward. Just uh, not get a text on that in just a minute. So, a mother going through childbirth loves to have who with her? Her husband. She loves to have family right outside, going through childbirth. She loves to have people close. They don't have to be in the same room with her, but people that are there supporting them, people to come alongside them. You think about it. A person who is dying of cancer, what do they like to have? People with them, people supporting them. They, they, when, when they come to reality with the fact that, that this can't be cured, it can't stop, there's going to be a progression, it's going to be tough, it's going to be difficult, what do they want with them? People who care about them, their family, their friends, people who come beside them and help them. At. We all have times in our life when we needed someone to help us walk through the valley. And the Bible is full of people who walk through the valley and depended on other people to help them. The Bible talks about a lot of folks. When we look at Moses, Moses needed two people to help him maintain his hands and his arms in the air. Amen? He, was, he did it as long as he could, but he needed someone to help him hold his hands up. So when his arms got tired and his hands got heavy, Aaron and Hur brought, brought a stone for him to sit on, and one stood on either side of him and helped him hold his arms up in the air until the sun went down. That's what the Scripture tells us. Amen? That's what it says. He needed someone to help him with it. As, as powerful as Moses was, he needed help. Let's go a little bit further. The Son of God needed his disciples present with him as he walked through the valley, fulfilling the will that God had for his physical life and the time that he was here on this earth, as well as for all people. If you were able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? We'll be in Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46 this morning. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. Starting in 36, it says, Then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them, and he fell on his faith and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying so that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, 
If this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Pray with me, please. Father, I ask that you bless the reading of your word. God, I just ask that you cleanse me of every sin, cleanse me of every impurity. And Father, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross and allow me to deliver your message to your people. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Prayer is the focal point of the ministry of Jesus Christ while he was here on this earth. Prayer is a focal point tonight. If you come back, we're going to talk about what is prayer. And I have preached several times over the past uh, Sundays and in the past year on the power of prayer. Prayer and, and what it means, what it stands for, how you pray. Prayer was a focal point in Jesus' ministry. You can't discuss anything about the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ without associating it to prayer. Because he was in constant communication, constant communion with his Father. He made it a point to be in constant communication every single day, every hour that he was awake with his Heavenly Father. He was in constant fellowship. Well, let me tell you something. That's what prayer is about for us today. You say, well, I mean, i got to be praying 24 hours a day. Well, let me tell you something. It's a conversation with God the Father. Do you want to conversate with God the Father uh, 15 minutes in the morning and call it a day and then see him again next, next tomorrow morning? Amen? Yes or no? No. We want to be in constant fellowship with him. We want to be in constant communication with him. He made it a point. Jesus made it a point to be in constant communication. Prayer is the way that Christ talked with his Father about the mission that he was here, the mission that he was placed here to do. He talked to him about God's will. Let me tell you something. In John 17, there's a whole chapter where Jesus prayed first for himself, next for his disciples, and then finally for all believers. He A whole chapter where Jesus is praying and showing the importance of prayer. Now, here's the thing. He prayed for believers and non-believers as well. Amen? Jesus prayed for all people. And on the cross, when he's hanging on the cross, what does he say? Father, forgive them for what? They know not what they're doing. And he's talking about non-believers. He's talking about people who are nailing him to the cross. He's talking about all of us who nailed him to the cross. He says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know who I am. They don't know what they're doing. You need to forgive them. You think about it. Jesus Christ hanging on a cross after the beating that he took, after the, the thorns being pressed on his head, after being just 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 annihilated before he's hung on a cross, nailed to the cross. But yet the love that he had was so strong. That he said, Father, forgive them. And forgive them. These are people that I created. These are my people. These people that I love. You think about it. And that puts a whole different perspective on prayer. Prayer was a priority for Jesus. He demonstrated it. And it revealed to us the importance of it. He revealed to the disciples how important it was. He taught the disciples how to pray. That's one of the things that he taught the disciples how to do. Man, he showed the disciples through how to, how to be disciples. How to witness through his actions and his words. But you think about it. The only thing the disciples went to him and asked him to teach him to do was to pray. 
Because when they looked at the way he prayed, they knew that it was different than the way they had prayed. And they wanted to know the same thing. They wanted to know how it was he prayed. Now let's think about it. Contrary to what people might think, the most difficult time that was a struggle for Jesus Christ was not when he hung on the cross. That wasn't the biggest struggle that he had, even though the cross was a struggle. Going to the cross was a struggle. It was full of pain, but that wasn't the issue. The last 12 hours of Jesus' life was a significant struggle. And we know that if you've ever watched the movie The Passion of the Christ, you can get a little vivid impression about what it was like. Amen? It's pretty rough, but it's not the significant struggle. The cross was the focal point of the love that Jesus had at that time, and it's the focus that he has for the, the love of mankind today, and his love overshadowed the pain and the struggle that he was going to endure. I mean, you think about it. The love that he had for mankind overshadowed all of the difficulties that he had to endure before the cross. The real struggle was prior to going to the cross. The real struggle was prior to the pain that he had to endure. The real struggle was prior to the beatings and prior to the thorns being pressed on his head and even prior to the crucifixion. He was saying, well, what in the world are you talking about? How can there be a significant struggle more than what Jesus had to deal with? The real struggle that Jesus faced was in the garden when he wrestled with a human heart of a submissive son. Now, you should think about it. The Bible and and God puts a lot of emphasis on the human heart. He emphasized a lot about the human heart, and Jesus had a human heart. It doesn't take away from his deity. It doesn't take away from the fact that he was the son of God, but he did have physical body. He did have emotion. He had a physical heart. He had a human heart. God placed a lot of emphasis on the human heart, and Jesus had a human heart, and he had emotion, and he had his own will as well. You think about it. Man, he's the the son of God. God has a will for our life, but we also have a will whether or not we're going to align our will with his will or not. Jesus had his own will as well, but he wanted to align it with God's will. He says in the Bible, not my will, but your will. Does Jesus not have a will? He had his own will, but he wanted to make sure that it wasn't him that was was lining up. It wasn't the physical aspect of his body that was taking a a, a control over whether or not he would would have to do what he was going to have to do. Not my will, but yours be done. Think about it. I love these people, but I love you more. When you think about the love that Christ had for us, he loved God the Father more. And that's why God's will overtook anything else. It overtook his will. God's will was, was the one that had to be. I want your will to be done. These are the words of Jesus. Now you move on into to how this scenario takes place. Eleven disciples were now with Jesus. And eleven went to the entrance of the Garden of Gethsemane. Eleven went to the entrance. But Jesus took three more a little bit further. Three more went just a little bit further. He left eight at the entrance. And Peter, James, and John went further into the garden. Now this is the third time that these three men have been a little bit further with Jesus. And you think about it, it's the third time they were part of the inner circle, and it's the third time that he had, had brought them just a little bit closer. He wanted them to see what he was going to do. He wanted them to wait and watch with him on multiple scenarios, even before this one. It was not that Jesus loved these three anymore, because he loved them all equally. He loved every one of the disciples equally, just like he loves each of us 
equally, but he invested a little bit more time in these three. And that's what we've been talking about, these small groups. I'm talking about it's an investment. You can invest in one person if you want to, as long as you're investing in somebody. But Jesus showed us how to invest in other people. These three were with him at the Mount of Transfiguration. They were with him at the home of Jairus when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He wanted them to be with him and to watch as they had done many times before. Man, he's about to enter into a struggle. He's about to do something that he's never had to do before. He's about to have to endure something he's never had to do before. And these three closer ones, now all of them are close, but he wanted them with him. You think about it. How many close friends do you have? How many close, true close friends do you have? I can think about that. I mean, those that are the true friends. A lot of people call you their friend, right? But those true friends, he wanted them to be with him as they'd done many times before. He emphasized that they should pray, not necessarily for him. He wasn't looking for them to pray for me as Jesus Christ. You can pray, but I want you to pray for yourself. When you think about these human beings, these three disciples, these three people who had been following Jesus are now about not only to to see something they never seen before. They're about to witness what Jesus is going to go through. It's going to either change their life. They're going to be affected by that in some way. He wanted them to be praying because Satan is going to be working on them. Satan is going to be attacking them while he's enduring what he's doing. He wanted them to pray for themselves because they were going to have a difficult scenario as well. Jesus did not need the disciples to pray for him. He did not need the disciples. He was the son of God. He created the universe. Everything was created by his hands. He created the tree that would eventually be made into the cross that he was going to hang on. It's all his creation. He did every bit of this. Let me tell you something. That's, that's so important. The Bible is very clear that it was not fear of death that caused the Lord to struggle in the garden. I mean, he wasn't afraid to die. He knew it. He was omnipotent. So he knew what was about to happen. He knew he was going to be nailed to the cross. He knew he was going to hang on the cross. And he knew that he was going to be separated from God the Father for a period of time while he hung on the cross. That's where the struggle is taking place. He did not fear death. He went willingly to to a death. But the issue says he was about to drink the cup that his father had prepared for him. He's about to drink the cup. That's what's so significant about this passage of Scripture. He's about to do what God wanted him to do. He's about to to receive the wrath of God for the sins of the world. And this meant bearing on his body the sins of the world. This meant willingly walking to the cross and giving up his human life as a sacrifice for all people. A sacrifice for you and me. John 18, 11 says this. So Jesus said to Peter, and this is a little bit later in the garden... Put your sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? And he's not asking Peter if he should drink it. Shall I not? Basically, he's saying, I'm going to drink it. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's what I came here to do. There are many godly people in this world who have been crucified. There are many godly people who have been arrested, beaten, and slain on behalf of God the Father. But only one of those people has ever been made the curse for mankind. Only one of those people has ever taken the burdens of sin upon his shoulders for all of mankind. And that's Jesus Christ. Amen? Our Father in heaven has never forsaken any of his own Man, in history, you think about it. 
God has always been present. He's never forsaken any of his people that have left him. He's never forsaken you or me. He's never forsaken any of us. You think about it. When it seems like God is so far away, he is not the one who has moved. I mean, you look at your own life when it seems like, man, God is just, everything's happened to me. He can't be anywhere close. Well, let me tell you something. God has not moved from where he's always been. He's right there with you. He's standing alongside you. We are the ones who move away from him. He remained with his people when they abandoned him, and yet he turned his back on his own son on the cross. That's the only time that he's left them, and there was a reason for that. Matthew 27, 46 says this. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Say it with me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Man, Father, why have you forsaken me? Even though he knew it was going to take place, he knew it had to happen, why have you forsaken me? This was the cup that Jesus willingly drank for each of us. Jesus was not wrestling with God's will or resisting God's will at all. He, he yielded to God's will each and every time. He felt the awful burden of sin and the Son of God as the Son of God, and he knew that this was his mission on this world and on this earth. And he knew that was the reason he came. He knew that was what God wanted him to do. When you look at the mystery of humanity and deity, it's all vivid right here in the garden. When you say there's a, the human aspect of Jesus is working and the, the, the spiritual aspect of Jesus is working, all right here in the garden. Peter and his fellow disciples had promised to be faithful to death, and yet they were asleep. Man, they had said, Peter was one of the boldest ones. He said, man, we'll go with you right up to death. We're going to be right there with you, and yet they were asleep. They needed to pray for themselves because the danger is right around the corner. When you look at this scenario, they needed to pray for themselves. They, they, ha- they needed to, to know uh, what was about to take place, and they needed to be with uh, the Lord and pray with him and watch with him, but yet they were asleep. He did not need them from a human standpoint. He desired his friends to be with him, but they had failed the Lord when Jesus had succeeded. And in the garden, he succeeded. Our Lord's struggle in the garden can be understood in the light of what happened to him on the cross. He would be made sin for me and you, and the curse of the law would be placed on top of him. He would drink the cup so that God's will would be done. Second Corinthians 5.21 says this, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It was not the physical pain and suffering that caused the struggle in the garden, but the thought of being forsaken by God the Father. When you think about that, if we had a, a significant struggle in our lives, man, the, the worst struggle we could have is if, if, if God was not there for us. If he turned his back on us and left us alone to, to wallow in our sins, that's one of the things that God did not do. God the Father and God the Son had always been in constant communication throughout eternity before time. They had always been there together. The Trinity is always together. There's never been a time in history that they were not unified, and now there would be a separation for a period of time while Jesus was on the cross. This was the cup that he would drink and the great struggle that he would endure. And the Bible says this, Jesus prayed that the hour might pass. And he prayed that the hour might pass. When you think about it, it wasn't talking about a 60-minute hour. The hour signifies the time period 
that this is going to take place. Not, he didn't pray, God, don't, don't let me go to the cross. I mean, you think about it, Satan had promised him options to not have to go to the cross. But he didn't never pray that he would not have to go to the cross. He prayed and asked if the cup, if there was a way for me to do the sacrifice without being separated from you, that's what I would like to do. That's what I would like to do, but that yet he wielded to the Father's uh, instructions and he wielded to God's will. The moment that sin was placed on his shoulders, the moment the world became sin on his shoulders, that's when this all took place. Three times the Bible says that he prayed about this matter, and each time he yielded to the Father's will. He understood that suffering was about to take place. He understood what he was going to deal with. He understood the encounter he was going to do, but yet he went anyway willingly because of the love that he has for all of us. Because of that love Jesus had for the Heavenly Father and because of the love he has for people, people, Jesus prayed, yet your will be done, not mine. Man, the cross is all about love. The cross is the focal point of our beliefs in Jesus Christ. The sacrifice that he made, the love is shown on the cross. God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us on the cross. Man, that's this, it, it doesn't get any more simple than that. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8 says, by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Man, we're all sinners. We're born with sinful nature. Man is a sinner and cannot save himself. We needed a Savior. We needed someone to step in and take our place on the cross. And that's what Jesus Christ did. He went to the cross for you, and he went to the cross for me. Romans 3.23 says this, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin creates a separation between us and God. It's a, it's a boundary. It's a buffer. It's a blockade that we can't get to God because of sin, and he can't get to us. And because of sin, he turned his back on his only son while he was on the cross. He sent Jesus Christ to go to the cross to pay the sacrifice for us, to pay the penalty sin debt that he didn't owe, that you and I owed, so that we would have salvation and that we could have eternal life with him in heaven. Romans 10, 13 says this, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's one of the best passive scripture in the Bible. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you're at in the economy. It doesn't matter where you are in any position. It says in the Bible, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're just, if you trust in Jesus Christ, you place your trust in him, he is just and says he'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life. My friends, I tell you every week, and it's because this is so important to me, because our next breath is not promised. I mean, I have a a fellow that's my age pass away this past week, someone that I talk to fairly regular, you know, not too regular, but somebody that seemed to be in good health. He's gone to be with the Lord. Same age as me. There's, there's one that's a little bit younger than me. That it's, it's kind of one of those things where I check the Clark website pretty regular. I don't know if y'all do that or not. But it's just sad to know that there's people dying and, and leaving this planet and not knowing where they're going is what we want to make sure that we know. I mean, there's, there's a choice that we're going to make. We're either going to spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell separated from God. And the difference between hell and heaven is the presence of God in heaven 
and the absence of God in hell. And the decision we make on this earth determines where we're going to spend eternity. If you place your trust in Jesus Christ, then you'll spend eternity with him in heaven. And if you don't, we'll spend eternity separated from him. Romans 10.9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's just that simple. God didn't make it complicated. He didn't make it hard. He didn't make it difficult. He made it very easy. The pain and the struggle, his own son took care of for us. We're going to have struggle in in this world, but as far as salvation is concerned, it's very simple. Jesus Christ just basically said, if you believe in me, then I'm going to be the mediator for you. I'm going to stand in the gap between you and the, and the wrath of God. I'm going to take it upon me. So basically, if you place your trust in Jesus Christ and you make him the Lord of your life and you invite him into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, he is just and he'll come in there and he will save you. Amen? In a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. If you do not know this is Jesus Christ that I'm talking to you about, if there's been a time in your life when you, you say, well, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I did make a